KYW Original Podcasts. From the KYW Studios in Philadelphia, this is Cinema Obscura. Making a movie is hard on any level, from the most intimate indie to the biggest blockbuster. It takes an enormous amount of passion and devotion to shepherd your idea to the screen. But is that all it takes? The answer is no, but that didn't stop a Wisconsin filmmaker from giving it his all, despite a mostly amateur crew, a lack of personal support, and a constant struggle for money. I'm Andre Bennett, joined by Frank Trainer, and this week we're talking about a story so bizarre it could only be true, the 1999 documentary American Movie. Hi, Frank. Hi, Andre, and I just wanted to thank you for recommending this film documentary for me to watch because... I thought it was amazing, and I had never heard of it until you mentioned it, and it was such a wonderful experience because I felt like I was watching a home movie. I I, I know that guy, not personally, but I've known so many filmmakers just like him with that passion from script to screen, and it was just a remarkable exercise in passion, and, and I enjoyed each and every second of it. Before we get too much into it, I also wanted to uh, introduce our special guest, filmmaker and festival programmer Josh Goldblum, the man behind the Awesome Fest, and of late, the Cinepocalypse Genre Film Festival in Chicago. But before we talk to Josh, let's listen to a clip from the movie. This is Mark Borchart, the filmmaker at the center of American Movie. See, I come to the airport all the time when I want to work. There's no phones ringing, there's no people talking to you, and if you're hungry, it's like tough you know, you can't start stop and justify your inaction of script writing by making a pizza or something. Man, you got to be in this car. You have no other choice. Why the hell are we here? We're working on Northwestern, the third draft. I've got to get it so it's not embarrassing to give out. You know what I mean? There's some corny dialogue that make the Pope weep, and I've got to resurrect that, uh, so to speak. I feel so trapped. You know how long we've been living together? Since high school. She dropped out. I graduated. Her dad sold the house. It's almost paid off. Why don't you move out? It's a free country. I don't know. I guess it's just one of those things. Who the hell in their right mind would tell the world, yeah, I'm going to do this? And then think, man, where am I going to? I'm broke, man. i got to get gas tomorrow. And dude's talking about making a feature film. He's quite a character. Yes, he is. For Mark, getting his movie Northwestern made is a huge task. He starts casting for it, but interest flags a few weeks in, and he realizes that he doesn't yet have the resources or the cash to get it made. So he decides to return to an older project, a horror short called Coven. And yes, I know it's really pronounced Coven. <laughs> but uh, having made shorts on limited budgets, I can definitely empathize with uh, with Mark here. And you have uh, had your own experience. Yes, I have. I've probably been in at least 30 films so far. Uh Big parts in little films and little parts in big films. And it was a welcome task to sit down and to watch this. And I saw so many of the people that I've worked with over the years in the character of Mark here and uh, his real life struggle. I know these people. And I think having worked with so many filmmakers that this particular documentary should be mandatory in all film schools. I mean, it shows you everything from the struggles from casting to craft services, the food that you have to bring out and feed the actors because a happy, well-fed actor is one that's going to work a long time with no pay. And every other independent filmmaker out there 
has the very same struggle. The interesting part about, uh, you know, feeding actors, etc., this documentary also goes into the fact that it's not just the filmmaker, it's his family. I mean, his mom's involved in, in this whole deal, as most moms are of filmmakers, from young filmmakers in grade school to filmmakers who are trying to get their vision made, who are in their teens and 20s and 30s and beyond, and most of the times, mom winds up being the uh, the head chef there and feeding all the crew people, which is also something that's it's pretty interesting just to look at the family dynamic in this documentary. And I, I thought that was sweet, compelling, cringy at times, but it was just a – it's a love story for all filmmakers. I can speak to uh, my mother getting involved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she, yeah, it's a thing. She came in big for me a couple of times actually some years back. But yeah, I would call it, you know, a love story. In this case, the romance is between Mark and filmmaking, the craft of filmmaking. He loves to do this. He loves movies. But there's not that much of a scene where he is in Wisconsin. I went into this movie thinking it's about a guy who tries to make a movie, but he's like deluded and has little talent. That's not the movie I saw. Right. What I saw was a guy who is very honest with himself. But at the same time, he also has to be really on with everybody because right. that's the only way things are going to get done. If he has that personality of the shark, the guy who's got to like keep talking, talk everybody into this. And, and he's a one-man band. He's the writer, producer, director, and eventually editor. the editor and distributor eventually. And you have to be passionate. You have to be organized and you have to be in command. And he's all of those things. I was thinking the whole time I was watching it of a of a very important sentence that a, a good close friend of mine from Texas told me a long time ago who's a, an actor. He said, nobody ever starts out to make a bad film. Sometimes it happens uh, due to budget or casting or whatever. But the other thing he said is that every good film has passion behind it. And you can tell by watching this, that not only does the documentary have passion, but the real-life events that they are documenting, a lot of passion involved there. And that's so refreshing to see. A lot of bad films also have had passion behind them, and we've covered a few of those on the show. But let's talk to Josh specifically. You wanted to talk about this one. And tell me sort of about your attachment to it. For me, this is the greatest documentary of all time. I was in film school the first time that they came across American movie. I believe it premiered at Sundance in 1999. It won the Grand Jury Prize. Yes. Oh, the Sundance. And I was in film school at the time, and I remember actually getting, I didn't see it theatrically, but the DVD was being passed around school. And so in between classes, as filmmakers or wannabe filmmakers, we would just sit around and watch this movie day in and day out. It's about the passion behind wanting to make a movie, right? And within that passion, all the failures that come from it. And it's just a glimpse into two people's lives that most people, especially up until that point, you know, reality TV didn't really exist. This is way before on a professional level, like who was it, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon? Yeah, that project, project Greenlight. Greenlight yeah. Right. But, you know, yeah. this is the story of two people with the odds stacked against them that just somehow persevere to make a horror flick. And it's resonated with me ever since I saw it. It's a funny story. I was in Los Angeles, oh God, maybe like 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It was when Tom Green 
was doing his late night show for MTV when he was trying to be like David Leatherman or Jay Leno. And I got tickets to the pilot, to the very first show. I think Ludacris was there. Maybe it was Seth Green. There was some other star. And then Tom Green comes out and he goes, I also want to introduce two of my very favorite people in the world. If I was going to have anybody on the first my first show, it would be these two guys. And he brings out Mark Borchardt and Mike Shank from the movie. I don't think anybody in the audience had any idea who they were except for me. <laughs> and so if you listen back to that episode when they come out, you just hear me screaming Northwestern, just screaming their names, <laughs> yes. freaking out. And at one point, they actually point at me oh, that's awesome. <laughs> to give me credit. But I'd like to think that there's a whole generation of people that obviously grew up on this movie. But I think, too, it's a piece that a lot of people have never seen, right? Like it's, yeah. it's I want to feel like it's generational, but I don't think it's a movie that like you would walk up to somebody in the street and be like, hey, have you ever heard of American movie? And they would say, yeah, I've heard of it. And so I guess that's kind of, to make a very long story short, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. I mean, to be honest, this was the first time I'd watched it. And it's also, you know, I, I work a lot within horror, within genre. And so when you asked me to pick a movie, when to pick something that wasn't necessarily like horror, horror, cult related, but, you know, it's kind of a horror movie within the movie, right? Like, yeah. They're out there, they shoot a horror film, which they did finish. I'll never forget there's a great story out of the Sundance where so this movie screened at midnight, which is kind of insane for a documentary. You never see yeah. uh, documentaries in, in the midnight section. Or it's rare that you see them. And the entire place stayed after the screening so they could watch the short film, which I think is pretty incredible. Oh, they showed Coven after? They showed Coven, yeah. I remember in the movie where he gets caught pronouncing it wrong. He calls it, what was he called? Coven? He calls it Coven. Coven. The, it, the actual pronunciation is Coven. Coven. And then he goes, well, I don't want it to sound like oven. <laughs> and, then, and then the guy's like, what if uh, you added an umlaut? Right. Yes. <laughs> it almost plays out like a comedy, right? Like, it really does for a while, but there's that undercurrent of tragedy and it stems from his self-awareness mm. because on the outset, Mark Borchardt is very blustery and aggressive and he's talking in motivational speak and all of this, but he's also very honest about the fact that he doesn't have a lot of chances left mm. and he's not really doing all that well at the moment. Obviously, when they find him in the movie, he's, he's opening like his mail and there's a lot of bills, there's a lot of bills. Yeah. And then he gets he gets approved for a MasterCard. Yes. And he's never been so happy in his life. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, like a, it's like a monumentous occasion for him. Yeah. His self-awareness and his honesty make you sympathize and even empathize with him, especially for me, being someone who's done a lot of micro budget film it kind of cut close for me <laughs> in, in ways it's much easier now because you, with video you don't sure. really need to it, well, it, you know and that's that's important it's an important point too because at the time I remember when i was in film school everybody was just starting to buy digital cameras it was still kind of against the rules right like we were working on like 16 millimeter bolex cameras and so like when we had to deliver our thesis film right like we were editing we were cutting like literally splicing our films and I remember coming in and talking to my teacher and saying, I want to shoot digitally, right? Like I want to yeah. be ahead of the trend. This is like I'm never going to go out and make a film on 60 millimeter Bolex. But here these guys are in this movie actually trying to do that. And the resources that are available now, you're right. Yeah. We're just non-existent. I mean, even Windows Movie Maker is more advanced than cutting it the old-fashioned way. Yeah, just actually sitting there and like pretty much cutting it with a knife. Yeah. But, and, and the amount of takes that you had was limited to the amount of film that was available, which exactly. is also very expensive. They shot Coven on uh, – or, or Coven yeah. on, on 16, right? It was 16. Yeah. Correct. 
I think a lot of people will go into this movie, and, and you can, right? Like if, if you want to experience this movie as a comedy, mm-hmm. it's there. You can do that. But well, it, Mike is is an amazing character. One of the, one of the single-handedly – I believe that these are two of the greatest characters ever put on a documentary screen. I would even add Uncle Bill because he was amazing. <laughs> Love that here's this guy who lives in the trailer park or self-admittedly – has what like three hundred k in the bank? Yeah, he's got three hundred thousand in the bank, but and he's he lives a penny pitcher, right? Yes, <laughs> doesn't want to give them anything to yeah. make this movie, and he's and he's also just dumping on him <laughs> every chance he gets. Like, oh, he doesn't gonna do anything, oh. right? Yeah. He, he's kind of like the realist in that situation, though, right? Like he's he's everybody that tells you you can never make a movie, and here yeah. are these two guys, so they're like, oh no, 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 watch, we're gonna go make this movie. But at the same time, he's the one giving them the money. He's the one that's giving them like the money. he's he. All the while he's saying, oh, this isn't going to happen. Uh, I'm just yeah. throwing my money away. But he's the one giving them the money. He's their GoFundMe account before yes. GoFundMe ever existed. And right? also Mark's <laughs> relationship with him is very touching because they're they're very close to the point where Mark's even like bathing him. Yeah, I mean closer so than like you know his relationship in the movie with his father is almost non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and his brothers. And his brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but, but I mean you know here's a guy also – He's got kids mm-hmm. that he needs to take care of. And what I love about the documentary is that it has no real objective other than to just be there and tell the story. It's a tough situation for everybody because here are these guys that are just so completely unprepared to ever make a movie and they're not prepared in life either. Yeah. These aren't the greatest dudes. These are guys that have issues like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I think everybody can relate to the passion it goes into just wanting to create something. Yeah, exactly. And Mark has something of an eye for it. What little I've seen of Coven in the film and what I've seen of it, you know, outside of it, I've watched some of it. It's not like he doesn't have potential. He's also surrounded by a bunch of fools, right? Exactly. Like, and and it's, he's, he's kind of in like a sleepy backwoods town. Mm-hmm. There's no real, I don't want to say talent, but... There's nobody really out there with experience. And you see it time and time again in this industry on a very amateur level. Inherently, I think people have a void within themselves. I know I do where I need to create constantly, whatever that is, whether I'm building like a wooden shelf or producing a festival or helping with a film or doing sales or distribution. I constantly feel like I need to be doing something. And I don't necessarily think the end product always matters, right? A lot of times for me, it's the experience. And the camaraderie of building that together as a team. That is a huge factor. And you see that here in the movie. And so you can't necessarily always judge it by the final product. A lot of the times it's just life, right? Life is just about experiences and just working with people that you enjoy working with. And I think that happens within this movie. And it's joyous to watch. Yeah. It's touching, right? The movie's it's, – It's very touching. Yeah. We were talking about UHF a couple shows ago. <laughs> And about the community of oddballs who populate the film and who come together to save this TV station. And we were also just talking about how much we love those kind of narratives where you have this community on the fringe that comes together to make art. Yeah. So the director, Chris Smith, I believe the story goes he was in film classes Mm -hmm. with Mark. These guys were in film school together and he's always in the eye for character. So – just to put it into uh, perspective, you know, Chris Smith went on to do the Firefest documentary. Yes. The Fire Doc. Which is amazing. Amazing. He did uh, a documentary called Yes Men, which was really great too back in like the late 90s. 
He did a film called Collapse, which is just kind of like a single camera experience on like a conspiracy theorist, which is absolutely amazing. So so underseen. But he just has a very peculiar eye for interesting people and stories. And I mean, this is just kind of the epitome of that. Again, Mike Shank, right? Like every every line of dialogue that he has in that film is just incredible. Yeah, because he's so deadpan and that's just him naturally. Right. One of my favorite sequences is like he's he's telling Mike on set, he goes, uh, make sure everybody's wearing their brown gloves. Yes. And Mike just screams out. He's like, everybody wear your brown gloves. <laughs> and Mark just starts laughing. <laughs> I love that part. But nobody, it's, nobody knows what they're doing in the yeah. movie. And that's, that's yeah. what makes it so Because Mark's not a producer. No. And Mike's the furthest thing from a producer. Yeah, Mike totally. And Mark even, <laughs> like, he's done all the shooting on Northwestern, what he's been able to do. And he started Coven. But it's not like he's all that accomplished a producer. He has an eye visually for it, but he's also never really been able to get all the pieces together. Right. Yeah. Right. And Mike's just like Mike huffed way too many oh, can, God, yeah. cans of paint as yeah. a kid. But hey, the best friend you would ever find, right? Anybody would love to have Mike as one of their friends. Oh yeah, because he's even like buying all these lottery tickets, thinking you know maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll help <laughs> <Yeah>. out here. <laughs> Which, there's a great scene where um, he walks into the house for Mark's like, family's having Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. and he just has a smirk on his face and he's Mike's being like extremely weird. Yeah. And Mark's like, what the hell's going on? Why are you being so weird? And then it cuts to like Mike in the basement talking to the camera. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just won $50. <laughs> yeah, don't tell. <laughs> don't like, tell. I don't want anybody to know because they'll all ask to borrow money from me. <laughs> yes. That makes a lot of sense though yeah. because they all would. And then the, the, the greatest sequence, arguably, in the film is when they're trying to put the guy's head through the cupboard. Yeah, which also <laughs> really, really <laughs> cut close to me because as someone who recently suffered a concussion, mm-hmm. just the depiction it's of painful. repeated you, head trauma. You can feel it. Yes. Yes, I could. And that's also the top of his head. Repeatedly, that's going to impact his spine. Yeah, they fail like 12 times yeah. and he just bum rushes his head into this wooden cupboard. Yeah, it's... That they just didn't cut right to break. <laughs> I'm hoping that the guy... Like, There's, it's some of the most explosive comedy sequences in a yeah. documentary ever. And but it's it, all if, real. If, and it feels like something that Fred Armisen would do right now with yeah. like, like a documentary now. The entire film is almost unbelievable. A lot of it really is, yeah. I guess for guys like us, though, we can believe it because we've met guys like this on a certain level in our lives. I, I'm sure you have. Yeah, look, I think you have to be a little bit crazy to want to make a movie. It's one thing to watch a movie and say, oh, the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. I wish I could be like a Steven Spielberg or a David Fincher on an independent level. and Even on a large budget level, like, it's very difficult. It's, it's, it's Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's insanity to a certain degree. It's 24-hour days. I have to admit, I, I stole that joke. <laughs> but but it really is that kind of pushing a boat up a mountain. That's what it is to make a movie. Yeah, I often say every project on paper, especially independently, just looks impossible. How do you overcome this challenge? How do you raise this amount? Look, there's some fam- filmmakers that are able to do it. You know, um, Evan Gladell did it with Bellflower for like $17,000. Darren Aronofsky shot Pie for next to nothing. Yeah. Shane Carruth with Primer. Every now and again, you can break out. Oh, make Shane a movie. Carruth is one of my favorites. The master. Yeah. Absolute master. Upstream Color is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. Yeah, I agree. I, the guy's a pure genius. You don't often see filmmakers able to make a movie on that level, right? Because those films took years to make. But even at like, 
you know, five hundred grand is a lot of money to raise, and in, in in the scope of things, it's nothing to shoot a movie for. Yeah. But how do you raise this money? You know, I work within distribution and film packaging and sales, so I understand how the mountain that filmmakers need to climb to get these movies made. And what you often see too in this business, a lot of times, is the financiers that are there get involved with bad projects. And that takes away another financier from from making a movie. There's a snowball effect where it it hurts many people. When one filmmaker fails, Mm -hmm. 20 other filmmakers fail, you know. And again, for every movie that's made that that gets released, there's probably like another 500 that don't. But look, again, you go out there and you do it, right? The only way to make a movie is to make a movie. movie. Yes. And that's the beauty of American movie because it's like, well, you know what? They did it. They did it. Yeah, God bless him. Yeah. And fortunately, he was able to do it again at some point. Yeah. You know, yeah. he had a um, – it was funny. After that film came out for years, he kind of became like this underground icon and he would pop up in like the craziest cameos in movies. I remember seeing um, that Jet Li movie, The One. Do you remember that? I remember that movie, but I don't remember seeing him in it. But then Mark, again, Mark, I had – Mark Borchardt as a cameo in the film oh where he, he pops up for like a couple lines and – no, pro- no, nobody probably noticed it, but the few people that did were like high fiving each other. Like, Fun oh. fact: that movie was originally developed for The Rock. The one, yeah, oh, I could, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, but then for some reason or other, he didn't do it. He so. wanted to do like some Disney fairy pink fit. What was that? The Tooth Fairy. But yeah, this was. I think. <laughs> By the way, was, The Rock's the greatest. Oh, yeah, right? The Rock is, you know. But this was, I think, around like he was start. This was before Scorpion King, I think. It was probably around. There. It was probably right. Early 2000s, 2002, yeah. 2003 maybe. So this is like before he really kind of broke out. Yeah. Josh, do you find that filmmakers find this film helpful because they see a bit of themselves in Mark? Yeah, of course. I think anybody that watches this film would see a little bit of themselves in Mark or anybody that's just passionate about something. I think to a certain degree we could all relate. I know that I can. For anybody whose life just doesn't come easy to them, right? For anybody that's ever had to work a day in their life or overcome some form of obstacle, I think for filmmakers especially, it's important to know that you're not alone, that you can laugh at yourself and you can make mistakes, but at the end of the day, we're all in this together. I don't think there's anybody that watches American movie and doesn't want to see these guys succeed, right? Yeah. You have to root them on. From a filmmaker, I know for me, growing up as a filmmaker or somebody who wanted to be a filmmaker, it was important to understand those challenges and to watch and say, if watching somebody fail, you're able to kind of learn from it and say, these are the mistakes that I don't want to make. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely a very filmmaker-friendly film. Have you ever met Mark and Chris? So I met Chris Smith at – so I, I made a movie coming out of film school called Heroin Town, the documentary that they shot back in 2002 or 2004. And um, I premiered it at this festival in Silver Lake. It was called the Silver Lake Film Festival mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And it was at the arc light, the big arc light on Sunset with oh. the, the Cinerama Dome. And the opening night film there was Christmas next film after American movie called The Yes Men. So I remember just approaching him at the after party and just saying, like, this was like the biggest inspiration for me to want to shoot a documentary. Because this kind of what my documentary was, was just, you know, I found a bunch of characters that I was interested in and just wanted to give them a voice. And I think to a certain degree, that's what Chris did. And I had a great conversation with him out there. And he was, he was just, he was amazing and humble. Yeah. Excellent. But I, I don't think I, 
I, I spoke of my interaction with Mark and Mike on the Tom Green. Show. That's that's the closest I've ever yeah. got to those guys was screaming at them <laughs> from the audience. I once screamed at Bob Saget from the second row at Conan. Yes, oh, that's yeah. good. Philly represent. Yep. Yeah. Afterwards, Temple, I got a were you just screaming him. Temple University? No, I, was, I screamed uh, <laughs> as the applause was dying down. I screamed, "We love you, Saget!" <laughs> and then he's like, "I love you more." <laughs> nice. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, no, it was cool. That's on that character. Cool. I had another question. Speaking of interesting filmmakers, mm-hmm. you recently premiered a film by one Glenn Danzig, mm-hmm. and it's been talked about a lot. Can you tell me a little about what it was like to screen Verotic? Verotica. Oh, Verotica. So, yeah, Verotic was the um, the comic. Was line, the name yeah. of the comic line? Yeah, the film is called Verotica. Look, it was one of the more surreal experiences of my life. I'm a huge Glenn Danzig fan. Grew up listening to Danzig, obviously The Misfits, Sam Hain. So when I found out that Glenn was working on a feature film project, I prioritized being able to say, hey, how do we get involved with our festival, right? That became the most important project out there for me. It is a festival that's screening you know, 50, 60, 70 premieres. That just kind of spoke to me and my sensibilities. But the guy's a rock star. He's an icon. He's a living legend. And I think from day one, from the moment we started our conversations, there was just a connection. And I, I don't think a lot of film programmers per se would have taken the film because he didn't want anybody to see it. I mean I took it blind. I had never seen the movie. And to be completely transparent, I could care less. It's not about what I think of the film. Mm-hmm. It's about providing our audience with a genuine one-of-a-kind experience. Yeah. And so, you know, here you have this iconic rock star. Who am I to get in the way of people seeing this film? So he came in. He couldn't have been any more gracious. He was great. I could write a book about my experience and nobody would believe it. They think it's like fiction. But look, I think out of our festival, it got a lot of attention. And some of it wasn't so great. And some of it was really good. For me... Good is subjective, right? Like, what is a film experience to you? I've never seen anything like it in that room. They erupted throughout the entire film, and it was legitimately just a a one-of-a-kind experience. So I have nothing bad at all to say about Glenn. As I told him, he's got an open invite. Whenever he wants to come back, our stage is his. I've since maintained a relationship with him, and I I wish him the best of luck with it. It's a very... It's a different movie. It's definitely a singular vision. You know, I know a lot of people compared it to The Room coming out of the festival. But here's what I see when I see a movie like The Room, right? Which obviously the Academy Award winning disaster artist was based off of. For me, I see millions of people around the world just having a one of a kind theatrical experience when they watch that movie. And so it's hard for me to label something good or bad Mm -hmm. because I go into a movie looking for emotions, right? Like, am I going to laugh? Am I going to cry? Am I going to be horrified? Am I going to be thrilled? And I think this movie hits upon a bunch of those emotions. It's, it's wild. It's wild. And I do think it's, it's important to see it in a theatrical environment. It's almost made for that. Awesome. Well, yeah. I look forward to seeing it. It's yeah. Hopefully, we'll be able to bring it to Philly. I'd love I'd love to get it here at some point. It's going to live on for a long time. I get that feeling. <laughs> so we've got one more clip here. This is Mark at the bank with his naysaying Uncle Bill, who reluctantly gives him the money to make Coven. Okay, Just the, make sure they're endorsed Northwest Productions. Northwest Productions. Okay. And put into that. And he's the only name on it. Will sports chart. How am I going to okay. know about all this that you're doing? Because it cannot leave the account without your I signature. Don't, I don't know what you're doing. No, no. Do you understand? I don't that? have to. You get a statement. You, no one can take anything out. Every month. Nobody can take any money out unless you have to sign for it. 
Mm. It's in your control. It's in your, under your Sounds control. like the usual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Sounds like the unusual. Here, <laughs> you shake on it. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Columbus took a chance. Lindbergh took a chance. Have faith. Faith on nothing. Bill, man, you can't You're go out be. like that. You gotta be. You gotta. You gotta be upbeat. Yeah. I mean, you gotta. It's gonna work. All the good that is. And when you go in the grave and you're just laying there in the casket, the last hurrah, the final goodbye. What's gonna? What are you gonna think about, Bill? Huh? You tell me. Well, that's the whole deal, man. You gotta assert yourself, man, and think I am here because. You ever think about that? I am here because. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Uncle Bill uh, earlier, but he's my favorite character in this movie. I think. Yeah, he's uh, he's everybody's Uncle Bill. I mean, he's that he's that guy who has funded so many projects for student filmmakers and independent filmmakers, and you know, he's that guy. If you're an entrepreneur, you know, he has that crusty exterior, but you know, he has a heart of gold. Really, really glad that I got to see this movie. And I am, again, very thankful that you suggested this film for us to share with the audience. And I loved every minute of it, and I can't thank you enough for recommending it to me. I really, really enjoyed seeing his passion, his struggle. And again, it mirrored all kinds of struggles that I've personally witnessed over the years working with young filmmakers. And, and of course, thanks to Josh Goldblum, for suggesting it to us in the first place. Josh, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you uh, for having me. Where can people find you online? You could just find me. Um, social media, cinepocalypsegenrefest.com, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm around. All right. Find me at the local bar. Well, <laughs> thanks again for coming in, Josh. Thanks, Andre. I appreciate it, man. American Movie is available for digital rental and purchase. There is a DVD, but it seems to be out of print, so copies might set you back a little. It is not currently available on any streaming services, to my knowledge. I've looked. Frank, thank you very much. Thank you. Cinema Obscura. And I'm Andre Bennett with Frank Trainer. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced at the KYW Studios in Philadelphia. For more shows, check out the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. They're making a mockery out of my words, man. This whole thing has turned into a theatrical mockery.